0: You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your Bible, if you will, and find the Gospel of John, the ninth chapter. John chapter 9. We've been walking through the Gospel of John. The big picture we have been looking at over the last several, several weeks is this wonderful idea of look and live. That Jesus Christ is making himself known on the Gospel of John and making himself known of who he is, what he has come to do, who he is sent by. Kind of the idea of what now, what do we do with Jesus? John 7 and 8 was the Feast of the Tabernacles. Jesus was literally at a religious celebration that would have been celebrating God's provision for the nation of Israel through the wandering of the desert. Ironic that in the midst of the celebration of God's good providence and care for the nation of Israel, that the Son of God stood in their midst as the great hope and the great Messiah offering life and yet was rejected. And so now we see in John chapter 9, and I will walk through John chapter 9. It'll take a couple of weeks, but that's all right. I want us to look at these first seven verses, and we see John's encounter, Jesus' encounter through the eyes of John with this man. And as we go through the text, I want us to consider that it is a great coming together of John chapter 7 and John chapter 8. He's standing at the temple in 7 and 8. And he says, hey, to, to those, I'm the living water. Come to me and you'll never hunger and thirst again. And yet they rejected. I am the, the light of the world and I will make known all things and direct you and guide you. And if you come to me, you will finally be able to truly see Life from God's perspective, and yet they rejected him. And so here we come to John chapter 9, where Jesus heals the, the, the blind, and don't, forget, don't leave this out the blind beggar, born from birth with this blindness and dependent upon everyone for everything. This healing is, that you look at the study of John is also the the sixth sign. There are are seven signs, seven miracles that Jesus does throughout the book of John that point and reveal who he is. There are seven I am statements throughout the gospel of John that reiterate who he is. But this is the sixth miracle, the first miracle being in John chapter 2. He turned the water into wine and he began to show them who he was. By that miracle. That's a a great lesson today. People ask all the time, are are miracles possible? I said, sure miracles are possible. But all miracles are not orchestrated by man in some large setting that points to them. Miracles always pointed to God. God and who Jesus Christ is in the gospel. So that first sign was in John chapter 2, the turning to water and the wine. The second sign was John chapter 4, when Jesus healed the nobleman's son. John chapter 5 was the third miracle. The third sign went on the Sabbath. And you remember, that's when he started really getting persecuted. And a lot of the the controversy began. In John chapter 5, he healed the the lame man on the Sabbath. The fourth great miracle was there in John chapter 6 where he fed the multitude. They had nothing, yet he provided all that they needed. And then John chapter 6 also, that fifth sign where Jesus walked on water and he showed the disciples, I am who I say that I am. And now we have that sixth sign, that sixth miracle We read here in John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, an interesting question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's a unique question. And Jesus answered, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spat on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means "Sent." So he went away, so he went and he washed and he came back scene. let's bow for prayer Lord God we thank you for your word this morning we thank you Lord Jesus that the gospel is still enough to open the blind eyes of the spiritual blind we are grateful Lord God that right now this is you anointed that man with mud that your spirit anoints us with your presence and that the gospel is still enough to open blind eyes Lord, as we enter into a time and a season of thanksgiving, I can think of no other thing to be thankful for this morning but to say I am so thankful that I can see the light. I thank you, Lord, in my own life for opening up my eyes that I might see who you truly are. Lord, I pray that as we listen today, we consider our own plight, our own fate, our own vision as we consider the gospel this morning. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, as we look at the text, I want us to, to consider the man and his sin, the Savior and his ministry, and then again, the man, but yet now, his obedience. Look at verses 1 and 2, the man and his sin. Notice verse 1, and he passed by and he saw a man blind from birth. Well, here's, here's something that we need to say initially. There are a lot of things going on in the text that makes us want to kind of read something into it. We, we look for symbolism and things that are taking place and it's real easy to come up with things that, as I like to say, it preaches good, but it may not really be in the text. But yet, on the other side of that coin, speaking out of the other side of my mouth, there are a lot of things here I think we can really look into the text and see what it is the Lord is trying to tell them through this miracle. And we have this man that is blind. How long has he been blind? From birth. And he was born blind. It's a, it's a permanent condition. It's, it's a physical condition that he has been born with since birth. And it is debilitating the, the and crippling. And it is outside the realm of his control. And it is a permanent, ongoing condition that he is just in. Looking at John 7 and 8 and and looking into what, what Christ is doing through this miracle, I cannot help but to think our spiritual condition. Born in sin and helpless and blind into the world that we live until we meet Jesus. Isn't that good? That, that preaches good, doesn't it? He had come into a, 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 a religious setting where they thought they had all the answers. And they could not recognize the word of God standing in front of them. And yet we see a man born in sin. A man that is born and blind and birth. And it is crippling physically. But more importantly, what Christ is showing us spiritually. Notice verse 2 as we consider this man and his sin. Now we have to understand the context of what's going on in this current setting. It is the word of God for us here today just as it was then. But if we understand what's going on then, we can kind of apply it more clearly today. They ask a disciple, rabbi, teacher, they considered him a a great man, a learned teacher. They, They hadn't grasped that he was the Savior yet. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, here's what's going on there. In that current setting of the day, if that man was born blind, something happened that caused it. He did something. That sounds kind of odd to us today, but there was really three major rules of thought that were going on currently at the time of this writing. The Babylonian Greek influence, uh, influential aspect of the day, that uh, of the world was this idea of like reincarnation. That if you were born blind or debilitated or something physically was wrong with you, it was, it was punishment from God. And it was punishment for something you had done in the past. And so your, your previous life, you did something against God. And so your next life, you're born blind. And so anyone that was born blind or born lame I had something wrong with them, the world just looked at them and said, they did something wrong. That's why you're always in the scripture and you see that they're begging for everything. No one really took care of them. They were just left on their own. The Jews were no better though. The disciples and what they had been brought up learning, they were really no better. They had a, an understanding that something that their parents must have done. So if your parents had done something wrong against God, then your offspring would have been born with something wrong with them and that would have been God's punishment. But so I would assume then when, when the religious leaders started having children that had problems in order to cover their tracks, they kind of came up with a third option. Well, the child must have done something in the wound that would enable it to do something wrong so that it was born blind. Isn't that crazy to think about? And so, naturally, the disciples, they've already, Jesus has already proven that he's pretty sharp about things. And so the disciples said, Who sinned? who, Who sinned? His parents? Or did he sin that caused him to be born blind? Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed. Basically, what Jesus is saying this, if you remember Luke 13 1 through 5, uh, we won't turn there for the sake of time. But in Luke 13, 1-5, in, 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 in another setting, they asked Jesus, Jesus, we heard that the Galileans were, were killed by Pilate in, the, in, in, the, in their false worship. So there was a group of Galileans that were killed that Pilate had killed. It would have been like the, uh, they read it on Twitter, the news of the day. Hey, Jesus, we heard these Galileans were killed by Pilate in their false worship. What did they do wrong to be killed that way? And then also in uh, Luke 13, in these verses, they said, or what about those that were killed by that tower that fell? The tower fell, Jesus, and these people were killed. What about those 18 that died under the falling of this temple? Jesus, what did they do wrong? Remember what Jesus' answer was? He said, they did nothing wrong, but if you don't likewise repent, you will perish. Here's what Christ is saying. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all are blind. For all deserve death. Those Galileans deserved it. Those those people on the temple deserved it. That man that was born blind. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus says, that is why I say, I am the light of the world. I am living water. What Jesus is saying is this man has just done nothing other than be this man. Mankind has done nothing other than just be mankind. Since Genesis chapter 3, what what do what these people do wrong that have to live in this country, that they were born in that country? And what have these people done wrong that are born this way? Or these people done wrong have done that? And God would say nothing for all mankind is in need of a Savior. I can imagine the disciples going, wait a minute. A man and his sin. But what makes the good news of Jesus Christ in John chapter 9 so wonderful is that it doesn't stop there. Could you imagine if I I stopped the message right now that we all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God? Let's pray. Go have a great Thanksgiving. But it doesn't stop there. What if we what if we just stopped at John chapter 8 and the disciples somehow that was all they knew. He was rejected. The religious people wouldn't receive him for who he was, but it doesn't stop there. Not only do we have the man in his sin, but we have our savior and his ministry. Look again at verse 3, it is not this man that has sinned or his parents, but notice this in verse 3. But the works of God may be displayed. This man was born blind so that I can be Jesus Christ and Lord of Lords. We have been born in separation of a holy righteous God because of our sin so that Jesus Christ can conquer death and pay the price for our sin on a cross and shed his blood and his broken body so that we may receive life. I think as we look at the context here, I think Jesus is kind of saying it in two ways. This individual man was born so that I may be glorified. Yeah. He's saying, listen, this man was born blind because at this exact moment, in this exact day, I knew I was going to be here and look at that man. This man was born so that I might be glorified, but he is also saying universally in the standpoint that God will always be glorified. And it's not about what we have done, but what he is saying is no matter what we have done, through all things, God needs to be glorified. Now, I had to pause there in my praying and preparation, and I I did an evangelical biblical detour for a minute. This man was born blind so that the works of God may be displayed. That God's glory can be manifested. God's glory can be revealed. God's glory can be made known. When Jesus Christ healed that man, I guarantee you, Jesus Christ was made known in that area. All redemption screams and worships the glory of God. All creation screams points to the glory of God. Remember, one of my favorite scenes is out an entry, and they said, Jesus, you make them hush. They, they, they are not praising you as a king. They need to just hush. What did Jesus tell them? Listen, if they don't say a word, who will cry out? Rocks will cry out to the glory of God. Creation screams and adores and worships the glory of God. Whether we will or not, God is always glorified. I want us to look at some scripture. I'm going to read them kind of quickly. You want to write them down, that's fine. Again, uh, if if you're a technology type person on your smartphone, if you have a pad, I download all of my sermon notes every Sunday morning before I preach it. You can go to PastorJohnBeck.com on your phone right now and follow along, but don't go to Facebook, okay? Lay that off to the side of your Bible open because a lot of times I talk very fast and give a lot of stuff and several months ago I realized just y'all can have everything that I've, I've, I've studied and follow along. It would be easier. Here, here are three examples of I think we can say God's glory being on display. How can Jesus say that a blind man glorifies God as he heals him? I think there there are examples throughout Scripture that we need to learn from today that help us understand that we need to be glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ by the way we live our life. One, through suffering and affliction. This man was born blind. And and the world would say at the time, if a man is born blind, he's done something wrong. There's a negative context of it. Then that carries over into our world today. If everything is going just right and everything's going just wonderful, God is glorified. Oh, happy day! God is good. That comes out a lot easier. Than we've had a good day, doesn't it? God is good. Oh, praise the Lord. Amen, brother. Brother John, I always ask people, how's your week going? I had a great week. Praise the Lord. All throughout history, in suffering and affliction, God. Is glorified. In a few weeks, John chapter 11, 3 and 4. John chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you loved is ill. But when Jesus heard it, He said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And Jesus teaches us that through the raising of Lazarus from the dead, he is going to glorify the Father exactly then but also for all eternity because Jesus Christ is the giver of life. In death of Lazarus, God was glorified. John chapter 21, verse 19, more applicable here today for us. John 21, 19, this he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying these things to Peter, he said, follow me. John chapter 21 is what we call the the restoration of Peter. Peter was fishing, he swims to the shore, Jesus gives him fish. Go feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And three times Peter responded. And then Jesus tells them how he will die. And he says, this is to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And Peter's death on a cross upside down. He wouldn't be, history tells us that Jesus, Peter would not be crucified upright because he did not want to die like his Savior. And so Peter, through history, it tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. So imagine this: if you are crucified upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ, let God be glorified through it. Lord help us we have one little thing go wrong and everything just goes to pot one minute detail in our life we I'm having a lot of fun with the toothpaste analogy through the hurricane our life is a tube of toothpaste when you squeeze toothpaste what comes in comes out some of us get a little squozing new word And what comes out, it's just absolute panic and selfishness in who you really are. And then somebody else also reminded me, yeah, and you can't put it back in. The scripture is full of examples to where things do not happen the way that we want them to happen, but yet in all things let God be glorified. John chapter 12, notice that Jesus in his suffering, John twelve twenty seven, and he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. In the midst of Jesus' earthly suffering, the Father is glorified. Again, another passage, probably more applicable to us because it's after the resurrection and crucifixion of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. The apostle Paul, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Remember 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the thorn in the flesh. Anybody have a thorn in the flesh? Am I the only one in this room that's ever had a thorn in the flesh? We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. It could have been a person. I I think it was a person. It could have been an illness. People have said that there was actually a person that was in Paul's life. That Paul would have never wanted to be in his life, but is in his life. It could have been a physical ailment. Some people said they think it was... Paul being blind, and you can read that Paul had troubles with his eye. Whatever was going on in Paul's life, there was something in his life that he did not want to be there, but it was there anyway. Now, anybody have a thorn in their life, thorn in their flesh? I'm still the only one. Y'all are just the most sanctified. I see that hand back there. Paul praying for it to be gone. Lord, why do I have this in my life? Why, I want everything to go my way all the time. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. He had prayed, and this is, this is verse 9, but he said, but he said, when I asked for that thorn to be taken away, my Grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. That's a great verse on sanctification. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me Lord I am nothing and there's this thorn in my flesh and it is just I cannot handle it I don't know what I'm going to do and in my weakness all I can do is call upon your name because Christ it is your power that will enable me to do all things For the sake of Christ then, I am content with my weakness. I'm okay with my weakness. I'm going to stop whining about my weakness. I'm going to quit complaining about the weakness. I'm going to quit pointing out that weakness to you, Lord. Because in my weakness, for in my content, my weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamity. Paul says, I'm content with all of this, for I, when I am weak, then I am strong. Then I am strong. That in the midst of suffering and affliction, that we can know that God can get the glory for it. Through suffering and affliction, God's glory is made known. Through the calling of His people, secondly, through the calling of His people, God's glory is known. In the Old Covenant, Isaiah 49.3, and he said to me, Isaiah the prophet in 49.3, and he said to me, you of my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. He called the nation of Israel. He led the nation of Israel. He punished the nation of Israel. There was a remnant for the nation of Israel. In the nation of Israel, in the Old Testament, all things, he was the God of the nation of Israel so that he would be glorified in all things. Jeremiah 13.11. So I made the whole house of the Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord. That they might be for me a people. Jeremiah 13, 11. A name, a praise, a glory. But they would not listen. Even as the nation of Israel would not grasp and listen to who he was. God said, my people will still bring me glory. Well, I got news for you. We don't live in the Old Covenant. And we're not the nation of Israel. We don't need to be the nation of Israel. Because we're New Covenant people. And just as God looked over the nation of Israel, His chosen ones, He looks through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and His chosen ones and said, you, when I call you, you, Will give me glory. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 10. Listen to these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, union with Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Now let's stop there before I read 6. From the very beginning, God had a plan when man sinned in Genesis. He had a plan. He did not have to do like we do and get our little Google Calendar. I've got, I've got Google Calendar that syncs to everything. If I had my phone with me right now, I could, I could actually put in there, Google Calendar, preach John 1, 1 through 7, from 10, 15 to 11. Send notification past 11, but I don't do that because I want to keep preaching. Or ten To 12, I should say. And I, I look at that, and every day I can look at my calendar. Okay, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do that. I have everything planned out all weekend for the all next week. And the first thing that happens Monday morning, guess what happens? That calendar out the window. Well, what'd you get done this week? Well, I had a boy. I had a great plan. Here, here's what God did. I have a plan. I've chosen the people in the nation of Israel. And I'm going to give them the law. And I'm, I'm choosing, I didn't choose the Hittites, Moabites, the Gatorites, none of the Ites. You got that, didn't you? I didn't, choose, I didn't choose them, I chose the nation of Israel. One people. And I'm going to give them my law. And I'm going to show them what is necessary to have my favor upon their life. But in doing so, I am pointing that nation of Israel to a day where there's going to be a new covenant and a new relationship through a Messiah. And Isaiah said it is a a suffering servant. And through the old, there's pointing toward Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, Jesus Christ was a plan. He sends his son. He lives on the earth. He dies on the cross. He's raised on the third day. And exalted to the right hand of the Father. And this is what God said. I've got a people that I have chosen before the foundation of the earth. And it is the church. You could say that the old picture of the church was Israel. And that we are God's chosen people in the new covenant. Just as important as the nation of Israel was the God at that time. We are that important to God at this time. From the very beginning, notice what it says. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Somebody asked me one time, Preacher, what in the world does that mean? I said, I'm going to tell you something. It means exactly what it says. I I can't wrap my arms around it. And it should not drive us to pride or arrogance. But somehow in God's loving providential world. From the foundation of the world. John Beck was on his mind. Should, I make, should we just stop now and gather at the pulpit and the altar. And just weep over grace. That I responded in faith. To the God of the universe, and he had my name on his heart from the beginning of that universe. But notice why. Verse 6 of Ephesians 1. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. There's the plan. There's the plan. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. It's all in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and on earth. And if we read Ephesians 1, 3 through 10, it is a snapshot of redemption that God had a plan, and the fullness of that plan came to completion in Christ Jesus. So when he called us into salvation, guess who is glorified? I'm not glorified. The preacher's not glorified. Anything that would happen to cause that was not glorified. The only person that should be glorified in our salvation is God himself. Now go back to that man. He was blind. Physically, he was blind spiritually. Why was this man blind spiritually? So that I can be glorified. So that I can touch him. So that I can heal him. God is glorified through the sufferings and the afflictions of the day that we live. And God is glorified as he is calling people unto himself. And third, God is also glorified through the life of his people. That, that Ephesians 1, who, the Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Who, who are the people of Ephesians 1, 3 through 10? Those that call on the name of the Lord. And because we have been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb, our life should display the glory of God. Matthew 5, 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You think about your life for a moment. I was reading, you know, I'm a football dude. And I guess quarterback for Oklahoma showed himself a little bit you know they were saying well he, the the quarterback did they didn't shake Baker Mayfield's hand at the coin toss so then the rest of the game he was kind of taunting the the fan so then after that boy they locked in on him the whole day I mean everything at Baker Mayfield Baker, could you imagine if somebody locked in on your life all day and then we watched it at church Oh my, We'd have to have an invitation by name. Oh no, you do That'd be like them old Baptist churches back in the day. Charlotte and Sabrina, y'all just need to come on up, sisters. We just start calling people out by name. Could you imagine that? All right, so that's the negative. Think of the positive. What if we understand I'm his? That I was blind and now I see and I can live my life in such a way that everything I do, I can do to glorify and honor the Lord. Now I'll give you a little secret about John's life. Here's a secret of John's life. Whenever I try to be real spiritual, it never happens. When I just when I say, okay, I need to be very spiritual right now because somebody's looking at me, it never happens. But when John is just living the life of John that's when God uses it the most. Sometimes for the good, sometimes not so good. And I found out a long time ago, if John would just quit trying not to be John, but just be John loving and following Jesus, and everything I do, it's kind of like one of the benefits, or disadvantage of being a preacher is, you ever cussed in front of a preacher? I was in a golf league in, in Indiana, and everybody knew I was a preacher. You know how nobody wanted to play golf with me. You know why? It's like, oh, gosh, I just, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Stop, apologize. Okay, I'm all, you know, I didn't know what to do. One, one of my Lutheran buddies up there, and I'm not picking on Lutherans, but Baptist, we don't drink. And uh, one of my Lutheran guys I played with I had a terrible duck cook off the tee. He goes, you want a beer? That might help, preacher. I said, I, I promise you it would not help, and I'd be jobless. So, no, I don't need a beer. But your life is on display. So this is what I'm getting at. If John just is living the Christian life out, and I get up every morning and say, you know, I'm just going to live the Christian life out. I know what I need to be doing. It's not rocket science. I know what I need to be doing. The Bible has revealed to me what things I need to be doing. It's not hard. Just love the Lord, love the things that He loves, strive to be holy, fruits of the Spirit. It is not hard, people. So therefore, when I just live that life out, that is where God uses it to make the greatest impact. There'll be times when I'm preaching that I might have in my notes highlighted in red, say this, this is so profound, you thought of this Tuesday morning, it's going to bring revival to the nations, and I'll say it and I hear crickets chirping. (laughs) And then sometimes in my preaching, the Lord just lays something on my heart that I say, and I don't remember saying it, and and I got an email this week, and Matt, remind me to ask you about this, I got an email this week from a lady that saw my sermon that I grew up with, Her son he goes oh you made that statement and I tell you what my life this week has been and I don't even remember saying it so I'm thinking maybe Matt posted Adrian Rogers sermon online or something I don't know what he posted but she said you said something about something and I'm thinking thank you Lord for me just being in tune with the spirit and saying something out of the manifestation of obedient life that's the life God uses for his glory just be who you are as you follow Jesus but if you be who you are without following Jesus, it is a dumpster fire. And God is not glorified, Satan is. We looked at that last week. Let your light shine so that people may glorify your Father in your good works. 1 Peter 9, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. To abstain from the passions of the flesh with war against your soul, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What a profound statement. The world can say, I don't believe a word of what he says, but he does and he lives in such a way that God will be glorified even that the unbeliever will say your life is a testimony of God's goodness and grace. It's kind of the idea of the world that we live in. I know what truth is. I know what the Bible says. And we need to defend it and we need to talk about it. But we need to do it in such a way that we're not mean and mean-spirited and evil about it. But we're doing it in such a way that people realize this guy really believes what he says God has said. And God will glorify your life through it. In all things, God should be glorified. You know, you take politics and and the invention of social media. I don't see God in any of it. No party involved. I mean, it's the craziest thing in the world. Everybody's spouting and shooting off things and carrying on. You can stand for what is right and still live a life where God will get the glory and honor for it. Notice in verse 4. Before we get to the man and his obedience, it's a a point I want us to, as we look at Jesus and his ministry, we must work the works of men who sent me. We're back to John. While it's still day, I chewed on that all week. Why is that there? The man is in his sin, he's blind. Jesus in his ministry said, okay, this man was born blind so that the Father may be glorified. That Jesus will be glorified. The gospel will be glorified. But work, notice what it says. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus knew his mission. And nothing is going to deviate him from doing the work of the Father. Ephesians 5, 15 and 17, it says, Look carefully how you walk, not as wise and unwise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The days are short. The days are evil. Make the best use of your time doing the will of the Lord. Jesus had just been in the temple. The religious leaders rejected Him. He still knew that He was on mission for the Father. He was on mission because He was God Himself. He knew He needed to get to Calvary he knew he was going to Calvary he stopped by, he, he had an appointed time with that man he saw that man and he could have said Jesus we're too busy for that he goes I'm never too busy to do the will of my father and my will of the father is to heal that man no matter what is going on in Jesus' life his mission is always redemptive history so often to us here in our current culture we do give Jesus time but it's what's left over Hey, the days are evil. Amen? We don't need to vote on that. That's what we already determined. The days are evil. Make best use redeeming the time. And understand what the will of the Lord is. What was the will of the Lord in Jesus, the Son of Man? Was the redemption. That's it. That was the one thing on his mind. Calvary was the one thing on his mind. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. We can look at it in our context today. Paul would say, today is the day of salvation. Today is. Every day we just wake up and say, hey, what am I going to do today? Today is a day of salvation. I have been justified, I am being sanctified, and I'm looking forward to the glory of being glorified. Today is a day of salvation as I live my life, not as a blind man, but a man that can see, and a man that is living the message of redemption to the world around me. Today is a day of salvation. And we close with the man and his obedience. The what now? What did the Pharisees do? What was the what now for them? They wanted to kill him. What about the man born blind? Jesus, verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with a the saliva, and then he anointed the man with the eyes, with his mud. Now again, did Jesus have to do that? No. He could just, Anything you want to do, you just spoke it. So don't don't go home today and spend 14 hours trying to figure out the secret meaning of the mud and the saliva of what Jesus did. Sometimes in our studies, we love to know the, the, the hidden things of Scripture. It, pre- it preaches good. <laughs> Let me find out what that means. Listen, we don't know exactly why Jesus did it that way. We can assume we can tie things in together. Here here was mine that I kind of like. It is out of the dust of the ground that God made man. It is with the mud of the ground Jesus made a new man. That preaches good, doesn't it? I don't know why Jesus put the mud and the saliva in his hands. My take is this. Jesus put the mud and the saliva on his hands. And you could say that he anointed him with the mud. I've had, it's like being anointed of the Spirit. That preaches good too. It's just, as the Spirit anoints us, Jesus anointed the man. I'm just taking a very simple road here. Everybody's watching Jesus all the time. The Pharisees didn't believe a word he had to say. They didn't want to do a thing about it. They had zero faith. And Jesus comes up to a man that's been blind forever. And he reaches down in mud and he spits in his hand. And he wipes it over the hand. And he said, I tell you what, go and be healed. That man had to make a decision real quick. Do I believe this man is who he says he is? And how do I respond? Can you imagine what the Pharisees were saying? look at him he's actually going to the pool <laughs> the man had faith the pool that Jesus sent them to again we don't need to spend too much time trying to figure out the spiritual meaning the, the pool of Salam was built by Hezekiah as a way that uh, the, the, the spring Gihon would have of, continued to bring water into the city. So so Hezekiah built this little pool here so that they would have water if they were under siege. And so Jesus sent him to that pool. And he came out and notice what it says. And we're gonna finish over the next couple of weeks because right now all the man can do is see. And he can see. Why the mud? God was allowing us to see what true, obedient faith is. It's kind of like he told Peter, come and follow me. Come, and I will make you fishers of men. Go to the pool, and you will be healed. Some of us, and I know we have visitors that may not necessarily be Baptists, so if you're not Baptist, I'm not talking to you. Some of us think that that means... Come forward. Now, this is what that means. Get saved and go live the life out. That's how we know who believes that Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. Well, i pretty sure I came forward 14,000 years ago and I'm saved. No, you just didn't, you know, Jesus said to go and go. He didn't mean just, I don't know what, what, what that go is. But it, it's, it's come to Christ By faith, go. That man went by faith, received that grace, and he was never the same. I think some of us today in our current evangelism culture, we make a decision for Christ. This would be the way it would play out in some of our evangelical churches. And the blind man, he went to the pool, and he said he met Jesus, and then he went back blind and begged the rest of his life. When you can see the light, your life is different and you live differently and it's not out of of, of drudgery or legalism. You, You live differently because you have seen the light. I made these thoughts. The religious Pharisees, they had everything and would not respond. Yet a blind, begging sinner had nothing and he embraced through faith. They were blind and thought they could see. The beggar knew he was blind and knew he couldn't see. What a picture. Dead faith and alive faith. Chapter 7 and 8 talk about the living water and the light of the world. Jesus is the living water. Go and wash. I am the light of the world. Man, go and see. Now think about this, he's been blind since birth and he's got mud on his eyes and he goes to the brook and he, he washes off his face and for the first time he can see. What a great picture of salvation. You know What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. John 7 and 8 is religious discourse and teaching on who he is. And John 9 is just the gospel laid out in practical terms. You are blind from birth. And I am the Savior. Come and see. And you'll live forever. Let's stand as we pray.